Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest comes by way of the Carolina Classic. I know, we all thought it was behind us. But somebody just happened to be shooting there that I'm like, I have got to get this guy on the show. You may remember last year, he's the guy who uh, dethroned Isaac Lockwood in the Bill Drill Challenge. So, if you would, join me in welcoming to the show, Billy Barton. How you doing? Good, sir. Thanks for that intro. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Trust me. This is going to be a good one. Absolutely. All right. Now, I don't know if you've listened, and you don't have to have listened before, but I try to ambush all of my new guests right at the very beginning of the podcast, throw all the hard questions at them right up front, and then the rest of the podcast is easy. Beautiful. I love it. All right. So with that, we're going to start with what's your favorite movie? Oof. <laughs> See, I told you. At least uh, I gave you a warning. It is. It is. And that's a tough one for me. The way my, <laughs> I'm, I'm, the way my personality works, I'm always the worst at uh, at the, the what's your favorite questions. Um Cause I just I throw so many categories and stuff on it. Let's see, favorite one. Let's I'll say favorite one this year so far. Probably Top Gun Maverick. How about that? <laughs> okay. So I, apparently you had seen the original. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. How do you compare it, and how do you think of it as a as a not a remake but a continuance? How do you think they did with it? I thought they did great with it. Um, I, I really did. You know, the, the first one I, I definitely saw well after it came out, it was a little bit before my time, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up My my dad, uh, would, you know, could, could quote the whole movie, um, from memory. And so I was, you know, using Top Gun references and casual, casual conversation before I was nearly old enough to have seen the movie, uh, just cause that's how I kind of grew up in my house. And, uh, so was, was definitely a, a fan of the original for sure. But yeah, it was, it was a cool continuation, I guess, of the story and, you know, the, obviously the way they filmed it and uh, all the, the action of it was, was really well, well done. So it was, it was cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was very good for, I, I keep wanting to say a remake, but it isn't. But when you have a gap that long, typically it's a remake at that point, but it was a for continuance sure. of the series. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I did notice you said casual conversation, which goes right in with our casual conversation about <laughs> shooting today. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> oh, that is not a faux pas. All right. <laughs> uh, what I have found is question number two is typically the most difficult for people because Ooh. what I have found is most people don't read anymore. Like they'll listen to uh, podcasts or other stuff, but a lot of people don't read anymore. It's not like it used to be, you know, it's not like, unfortunately for me, I could see Top Gun in the theater as an adult. Like when I say as an adult, like I could have bought a drink. <laughs> right. Um, and back then, you know, it was when you had nothing going on, it was a book. That's what you had. Right. So with that, what is your favorite book if you have one? Oh, uh, I guess I'd have to say the Bible in general. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, You're not fiction. the first one to say that. Sure. Fiction. Let's see. I'm a big fan of Brad Thor and like uh, Jack Carr's stuff. Um, mm, okay. I like those. Like those a lot. Um, shooting related. Ben Stager's man. The, the latest two. Practical shooting training and adaptive rifle. Um, I would say are the current bibles of of practical shooting, or they should be. Oh, that's uh, pretty strong. Yeah. Big big fan of those, man. Um, everybody should check those out. And. Uh, Let's see. Non-shooting, I just finished rereading again uh, The Talent Code, um, which uh, I found fascinating. So that was, a, that was a cool one. Okay. It's quite the array there. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, you know, there's so many different kinds there. It's hard to pick like what's one favorite without uh, throwing some categories on there. But Well, and in a world of everybody, you know, diversity, you got it covered. You're good. There you go. <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right not everybody's into superhero stuff like like me i'm not into the superhero thing but okay. if you are who is your favorite superhero if you're not 
Give me a historical figure. Okay. Um, yeah, not not a huge superhero guy. I guess I would have to go probably Iron Man, just because he wasn't really a superhero. Like in in the, the he didn't have like powers or anything. He was just self made uh, superhero. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that, that's probably my uh, my natural inclination to uh, not like the idea of uh, like natural talent that you're born with. And uh, mm. lean more into uh, putting the work in and uh, and making yourself into what you want to be. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny you say that because I've heard that with Iron Man and people have said Batman for the same reason. Yep. Again, no real superpowers, but just a guy who is a superhero. Sure. All right. This one should be a little bit easier for you. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Favorite gun of all time and your favorite caliber of all time. They don't have to be married. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so I, I may be a little bit different. I'm, I don't really consider myself like a gun guy in the sense that like, um, I, you know, I don't own any guns just because they're cool. Um, <laughs> my, my favorite guns are the ones that I use the most. Uh, to me, that's what they're for. They're tools, right? Um, and so you know, what I'm currently running right now, uh, the five inch, uh, uh, you know, Gen 1 OZ9 uh, is what I shoot the most by, by far and a uh, big fan of this pistol for sure. Um, I've, I've said before, I think if I, if I had given uh, Zev, this is, they came out there before I was ever working with them, but if I had given Zev a wish list of everything I wanted in a pistol, that's pretty much what they built. And um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, that OZ9 and, and of course, 9 mil. Okay. The workhorse caliber. Absolutely. All right. Now, now that we've got all the hard questions out of the way, how, when was the first time, did you, you're on the East Coast, correct? Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. And w did you grow up shooting guns? I did a little bit. Um, you know, my dad was a vet, so I grew up with like guns in the house and stuff like that. Um, but not, uh, not regularly and not a lot, you know, we would go a couple times a year, got into hunting and that kind of stuff when I was a little bit older. Um, but no, uh, definitely no like performance shooting or any, any kind of competition. Didn't even really know that existed until I was uh, quite a bit, quite a bit older. But yeah, I mean, the first time I actually shot a gun, I was probably five or six years old. Um, you know, just, just plinking in the woods type stuff. Okay. So like a 22 or something yep. like that. Exactly. Okay. Did you do any hunting as you grew older? For sure. Yep. Um, okay. You know, very, very avid hunter. Once I was was old enough uh, for it, for sure, uh, was 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 in the woods pretty much uh, any any day there was a season <laughs> over. I would he would find me in the woods for sure. Everything and, and with everything, uh, you know, archery, muzzleloader, rifle, shotgun, you know, all all the above. Oh wow! All right. Well, we'll have to come back to that then. I'm gonna write that okay. down. All right. So now did you do any military time? No, uh, considered it very strongly. Actually, I think my, my vet, uh, dad was probably the one who really talked me out of it actually. And said it and with, uh, mm. just, you know, he, he had a lot of concerns, I think with, you know, the way that, that you know, the military is obviously changing and the direction that leadership is going and, and different things like that. And, um, so I did not end up, uh, serving myself. No. Okay. So then how, so you grew up, you did some planking at a young age, you did some hunting. Once you hit adulthood, how did that go from hunting and not knowing anything about competition to getting into the whole gun world and shooting competition? Yeah, so really got into shooting seriously, um, I guess, as my interest in um, you know self-defense, preparedness. Uh, understanding what the Second Amendment's all about, um, more from that perspective, for sure. Um, and so I started, you know, getting interested in those concepts well before I was ready for it. And and I would say from the time that I was probably, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, um, until the time I was like 18 and could actually buy guns and stuff, um, I was in inhaling all of the gun, gun content that I could possibly find on the internet, just really got, got a real interest for it. Um, and along those lines came across, you know, this is when the, the training community that we have now was really taking off uh, and came across things like the Magpul videos and, and some other instructors that were starting the online content 
um, thing at the time. And, and, uh, so got from there, got the idea that, Hey man, if you're, you know, you're carrying a gun for self-defense or personal protection, like the gun is not just a, a magic talisman that you can wave at problems and they go away. Um, it's a tool and, and like any other tool, it's only as effective as the, the craftsman who, who wields it. And so I knew that when I got, once I got old enough, I did want to, you know, start concealed carrying and that kind of thing. But I also knew that I needed to get training so that I actually knew what I was doing and could be legal and safe and responsible as well as effective. Um, and so started taking, you know, training classes um, pretty much as soon as I bought, you know, my first pistol and uh, was lucky enough to train with folks who, you know, although it was from a self-defense mindset, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're in about that performance lifestyle, you know, all, all the speed and accuracy and actually being good with the tools that you carry. Um, and so was training all the things uh, that we do in competition now for years and years, uh, even though it was from, you know, a self-defense background, you know, the speed, accuracy, movement, transitions, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so really, I, I shot a little bit as far as getting into competition. Um, a buddy of mine invited me to shoot some IDPA way back in the day. And I did that for a few matches. And then uh, for me, anyway, I, I, I quit IDPA as soon as the rules changed um, to, uh, <laughs> to uh, I think it's, uh, what is it? It's a full second for Charlie now or whenever they, they changed the right. scoring to make it uh, way, way, way slower and more accurate was the idea. And I kind of lost interest at that point. Um, and, you know, it's funny at, at that time. If you had asked me about USPSA, I'd have been like, man, that's that's for dudes in jerseys with open guns. Like, that's just, you know, what I what I thought that USPSA was. I'd heard mm. of it, um, but it, it never even really crossed my mind as something that just like normal average dudes go do. Um, but uh, anyway, long, long way, I ended up taking another class back in 2017 from an instructor who was a master class USPSA shooter. And he came up to me after the class and I was you know, the best shooter in the class by far. And he came up to me and he was like, Hey man, he's like, do you, you know, do you shoot? He's like, are you training with anybody who's better than you are? And I was like, no, I was like, I ran out of those a long time, ago, you know? <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you should go shoot USPSA. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. He's like, you will find people that are better than you there. And I said, really? He said, yes. Mm. He said, okay. And, uh, been shooting USPSA ever since. So here we are. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So how old were you then when you first started shooting USPSA? Like then? So this was my, my first, I, I shot an exploratory match in 2017. So that would have been six years ago. So I would have been 24. Okay. Um, no, is that, is that right? 20. Yeah. 24, 25, something like that. Um, realized that none of my gear was, was legal at the time. Funny enough, a lot of it would now. Um, but I like, didn't even have a holster that wasn't light bearing. Um, and my gun wasn't on the production list and, <laughs> you know, I had a magwell on my carry optics gun and all those things. So, um, I took a few months, came back in, in 2018 and that's when I really, uh, no, I, I got my, my numbers off. I came back in 2019. So first match in, in 2018, then I came back in, in 2019 and been shooting ever since. So you're right. Everything was open. You were shooting open. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, which, you know, it's a, it's a funny <laughs> argument looking back on it. Right. It's like, man, you know, not to get political or anything, but people talk about people that were just like me all the time when it comes up with division discussions. And it's like, well, you weren't going to win anyway. You could just shoot open. Um, and looking back, like, yeah, I totally could have, and it wouldn't have mattered. And I still could have learned stuff, but right. Zero interest, <laughs> zero interest in trying to go shoot. You know, I, I never, you know, to me, I'm, if I go to a competition, I'm going to win, whether I could or not, that was my mindset. Like I'm, I'm trying to get better and, and actually measure myself and had no real interest doing that in a division where real or not, there was a massive perceived disadvantage, um, right. in, the, in the gear space. So. And, and I think if all you're going to do is shoot a local then, and that's it, then it doesn't matter, you know? Sure. You're because then you're just, it doesn't matter. You're shooting a gun. You can still compare yourself to everybody in your area. But yeah, I agree. If you're going to, if you're going to shoot anything other than a local match, you might as well at least give yourself the opportunity to do well in your division. hundred percent. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Now, 
so when you went back in 2019 and and started shooting what where did you start classification wise i would have to look back i think i went into b first okay may have been a uh, okay. I'm not, I'm not certain. I think I started. So, so we'll say somewhere around 65%. Sure. Okay. You know, 60, that's 60 to 70. That would, that would cover it. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're not starting on the low C end or high D end. You, you're starting a little bit higher. Now you are already doing stuff with the gun. Mm-hmm. When you first started shooting USPSA, what was your initial thought about where your training was and what your results were in USPSA? Did you go, oh, I need to do A, B, and C? I mean, yes and no, right? I think I think I had a, a decent self-assessment of where my skills were. I was definitely surprised to find how many good shooters are out there um, that are just, you know, local uh, casual shooters, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, so I made, you know, I made masterclass in just under six months, um, from, from that first match in 2019. So, you know, for me, I don't think I, I wouldn't say I got appreciably better at shooting in those six months, as far as like speed, accuracy, mechanics, that kind of stuff. But definitely there was a ton of learning, um, on the, learning the game if you will so you know learning the hit how hit factor scoring worked i I had never shot hit factor before um so learning that scoring system what the actual balance of speed and accuracy would be you know as far as how fast to go and how many points can you give up and that kind of stuff the mental side of the game um you know as far as shooting under under pressure and not allowing you know i think the, the reason i probably tanked a lot of those early classifiers really bad is just from the mental side of it you know everyone takes those classifiers okay seriously and i was no exception you know for sure um, and, uh, and, and just learning, especially the stage planning part as well. Uh, I'd never done, you know, any kind of visualization or stage planning to speak of, you know, at all. Um, and so all that was new for sure. Uh, all right. Now I were, when you started shooting USPSA, were you already teaching, um, firearms use from a self-protection standpoint? Yep, absolutely. Okay. So uh, I'm curious then, is stage planning to you, can you compare it to self-defense situations? Sure. Um, You know, like I said in the beginning, I mean, I I don't have any uh, any military law enforcement experience. I don't really teach tactics, but there's a couple interesting carryovers, I think, for me. Uh, You know, number one, Stage planning, I think, is a is a really valuable skill, no matter what you're part of shooting you're interested in. Uh, a because it allows you to actually um, compare te- different techniques. You know the way a lot of guys do it. If they're looking at, hey, I'm going to shoot this course of fire, um, and I'm going to try it standing still and shooting fast, and then I'm going to try shooting on the move and see which one's better. Right. So the first one one you do standing still, you know, you do it in ten seconds. The next one, you do it shooting on the move and you do it in 12 seconds. You're like, well, standing still was better. Well, let me try it again. So you do it again, standing still. And all of a sudden that one's 14 seconds. You do it again, shooting on the move. And that one's eight seconds. Well, now which one's better? You have no idea because the lack of consistency is there. And so like what, what I'm getting at is like the idea of stage planning, right? Being able to, in a very detailed, granular fashion, plan out exactly what you want to do and actually execute that at a high level with consistency um, is, is just a great training tool. Um, to actually let you figure out what works and what doesn't. But also, you know, I think everyone's probably gone through this experience. You know, when I first started shooting stages, you know, by the end of that, by the end of that five minutes or however long you got to do that walkthrough, I was like, I don't even know where the targets are yet. <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> right. you know, four years later, you walk on the stage and you're like, yeah, that's probably it. But let me just go double check. Right. Like everything just kind of has come so much easier in that sense. And so whether you're, uh, you know, doing CQB in the shoot house or whatever, the more times you go through the exercise of, of planning something out, considering all the options and, and deciding what the best way to do it is, the more likely you are to do it as efficiently as possible when you don't even have the ability to plan. Um, and you just start seeing techniques, you know, kind of become your new defaults that, that weren't before. 
Um, so I, th- I think there's there's value in crossover there for sure. Okay. Now, before – so I want to go back to IDPA for a moment. Sure. I feel like IDPA still has room for improvement. I think they could improve their target, meaning – you know, that, that circle's big to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like if they went to something that had more, uh, and I'll just use, for lack of a better term, I'll use scoring rings, okay? Whether they're vertical, you know, whether it's a rectangle or whatever, um, similar to USPSA in that you have different values, or in their case, you know, different points down. So if you're just outside of whatever that, quote unquote, a zone is, you know, it is a half second beyond that. It's a full second. And then a miss is whatever you want it to be. Um, But I think if they did that and allowed shooting on the move. Now, what I mean is IDPA is unique in that they want people to think they're behind a barrier. Okay. I get Mm -hmm. that. They want them to think they're behind cover. Um, but I still think there's room for shooting on the move. I feel like if they allowed you, if you're moving from one cover to another and there's a target in the open and you can engage it while you're moving, you should be allowed to do that. As long as you don't stop and engage the target, in which case, okay, give them a, um, a penalty like you would get in USPSA for you know some type of procedural um, to minimize that unfair advantage there. But I felt like if they, if they did those two things, it could really be a a top of the line practical shooting sport. Yeah, there's, I mean, I haven't shot in a long time. They've actually made, you know, some changes that I thought were really good. Um, You know, it's funny at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, I was carrying appendix um, and I was carrying like with a red dot and this was before carry optics and so this is supposed to be a practical division that, you know, a practical sport that encouraged people to actually shoot like with their carry or duty gear. And I wasn't right. allowed to shoot my carry gun. I wasn't allowed to shoot my carry holster. I wasn't allowed to shoot like anything right. that I actually carried in the sport, you know? Uh, but they said so they made some, some changes there that I think were, you know, are good for sure. Um, I, I definitely think going back to the previous way of scoring, like, you know, I, I like hit factor better than time plus, but um, you know, the old plus half second plus one second for Charlie's and Delta's. Um, made a lot more sense to me for sure. Um, yeah. Like you said, the shooting on the move. Um, I think the other rule that, that really is kind of frustrating for folks is the, um, you know, the, you can't do reloads unless you're out of ammo. Um, yes, I agree. I don't see how that has any basis in practical or combat shooting. <laughs> like I don't understand where that no. came from. And, and I um, did spend time in the military. So yeah. Um, but, you know, still the thing that I mean, something I absolutely love about USPSA um, is the strategy element. Um, you know, I, I enjoy that a lot. I like the stage planning. I like being able to, you know, seeing people shoot different ways and see who comes up. So that's that that's a missing piece, I think, for sure, that I like about USPSA. But, uh, yeah, they could they could make some improvements that would make it a lot better for sure. Yeah. And I, I like the concept of of and I'm, I'm sticking on the theme of self-protection, self-defense, whatever you want to call it, especially in the light of things that have happened recently um, in other places in the world. Um, I I love the concept of IDPA and I love a lot of their stage setups because uh, you know who um, Ernest Langdon is? Of course, yeah. Okay. I'm just checking. I assume you did, but I hate hate making it that way. No, no, I didn't take it that way. I'm just making sure, you know, you know, we're on the same page. Yeah. Um, before he got out and was in competition shooting, he was in the Marines too. Yep. We were, we were both assigned at the same place and, but he ran a, he was one of the cadre at a pistol course that was funded by department of state for people who yep. traveled around the world. So I got the opportunity to go through there. And the thing that I liked about it, it's very similar to IDPA actually, because <laughs> what they would do is they set up quote unquote stages. They were scenarios based on real world events, things that have happened around the world. Um, like one was the, some Marines who got ambushed in Central America at a cafe. 
So they basically set not, not as, um, uh, what do I want to say? You know, it didn't look like a cafe, but you had a chair and a table type right. of a thing, you know, so you're replicating what was going on. Sure. Um, that was one of them. There was another guy, uh, I'm having a brain fart and I don't have his book behind me. It was a green beret. It was, there was a book about him called five years of freedom in Vietnam. He was captured and it took him five years to escape. And he was the longest held captive in Vietnam to make an escape and get back to friendly lines. Hmm. Well, he was killed in the Philippines. Uh, I believe he was doing some type of surveillance or something. He was in a car and one of those street vendors walked up, walked right up to the side of the car and it, it wasn't a street vendor, shot him, killed him in the car. Well, that was another one. So you're sitting in a car and there's a popper laying on the ground and the cue was as soon as that thing popped up, you know, you had to retrieve your gun, shoot the target, crawl through the car, get out the other side. So I, to me, IDPA and that course are are similar in how they set things up. So I love the concept. I just wish they'd do a few things to make it more realistic. And then I think yep. they would they would be on to something and they would have a lot of people shooting that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you when you guys teach stuff other than the fundamentals, do you put them through scenarios like that? I don't do scenario-based training. Um, okay. No, for me, it's all about being fast and accurate. I think that, uh, you know, a, lo a lot of folks, nothing against scenario-based training. As a matter of fact, it's, I mean, it's absolutely crucial, especially for folks that are, you know, at, at that level and ready for it. But I think, you know, a lot of a lot of courses are putting guys through that stuff well before they actually have the ability to use the tools. And, and once mm -hmm. you learn to use the tools at a high level, um, the scenarios all of a sudden are way less uh, challenging and complicated than they first appeared. Um, and so that, that's mainly what I focus on is the, uh, just the hard skill side of it. Okay. So what does your training look like? Uh, as far as my, the classes that I teach? Well, no, let or personal your training. personal training to maintain got your it. skills and how you got to where you are with your skills. Yeah. So it's, it's obviously changed a lot <laughs> over the past, uh, 10 years <laughs> Five, for me six for years. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, when I, I, I think I would say when I started off, um, it was, you know, like I said, always been a performance mindset, but I, I definitely fell into that mindset early on of like, Hey man, like all most gunfights, you know, all happen within seven yards. And so that's like where you need to focus. Um, and so that was, that was it, man. I was, I was all about the hoser stuff, you know, just burning it down at, you know, three, five and seven yards. And, well, I can uh, see why like you've like got a skill drills, for it. <laughs> like build drills as an example and stuff like that. Right. Um, were, were my thing for years and years and years. And, um, so that's obviously changed a lot. Um, and, and these days, you know, I would say for the most part, my training has, has really changed from you know, the skill development side of it, you know, it's like when I go to the range, especially I'm not working draws and reloads and, and that kind of stuff anymore. It's, it's much more about just, you know, consistent execution, a lot more like mock stage setup. Um, you know, pretty much mm -hmm. everything has movement, everything has partials, everything has targets at distance. Um, and, and for the most part, like when I'm doing that style of training, like not shooting the same course of fire really, uh, more than once. Um, figuring out, you know, what targets I'm going to engage me position, each position, put, basically putting a stage plan together, um, you know, visualizing that, giving my, myself one chance to shoot it at a high level, score it, paste, and then move on to something else, change it up a little bit, you know, and, and, and do another run. Um, and so that's, that's really more of what my, most of my training looks like these days. Okay. The one time setting up a stage and running at one time only now was that you, I know that was a big thing that when Eric Grafell was here and was working with some people, that was a big one to him. Yep. Is this something you, you pulled from some other training or is this just something you came up with? Cause look, everybody can come up with the same idea and not talk about yeah. it, but where um, did you come was, up with that? So I was moving more and more and more in that direction in my training. Anyway, obviously the, the idea of, you know, Steve Anderson's, you know, match mode training or execution training, depending on, you know, whatever somebody uses to, to you know, performance on demand, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that was, that was definitely it for sure. Uh, training with Eric, 
definitely pushed me even farther in that direction. Um, for sure. Uh, he was really, really big on that. Um, and obviously it's worked out pretty well for him. So, um, that definitely pushed me even, even farther in that direction. So how was that training with Eric? Incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, did was, did uh, you ever think that opportunity would come up? No, no, <laughs> really didn't. Really didn't. But, uh, yeah, we were, we were fortunate enough. A buddy of mine, um, was fortunate enough to connect with him and, and we got him down for a class. Basically he was, he was in the States for SHOT Show. Um, and we, mm -hmm. we snagged him on his way back and, uh, we're able to put a couple classes together. And that class was really cool because, you know, I mean, I know some folks were, were probably uh, not happy about it, but it was kind of an invite only event. Um, and that was on purpose in, to try to, um, you know, basically just vet the folks that were coming to make sure everyone's a pretty high level shooter. You know, pretty much everyone was like at master class level and above. Um, and so what that enabled him to do was like, just skip all of the, all the basic stuff. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, we didn't, he didn't mention grip once, you know, that, you know, just, right. <laughs> like that kind of or stuff side alignment right or, or any of <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah. And went, and went right to the stuff that, you know, we're not getting from the folks that are, you know, state that you, from the normal classes you would take here, uh, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely picked up some, some big stuff from him that I'm, I'm using in my game now for sure. And that was, uh, that was a great opportunity. All right. So summarize the difference between training with a guy who's a nine time world champion and, and other people who are good instructors, but not nine times world champions. What was that? How big of a gap is that? Is that as big as we expect it to be or bigger? Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Pretty much everybody that I've trained with in the last like five years has either been a national or world champion. So, um, I'm, I'm pretty accustomed to training with folks, um, at that level. Eric's obviously on, on a whole different plane though. Uh, he really so is. it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to argue with it, with anything the man says for sure. Um, and he definitely has some, some ways of looking at things specifically with like stage strategy. Um, you know, the way he does hit factor math and stuff like that, that is, that is definitely on another level for sure. Um, a lot of the stuff, you know, I would say is, um, definitely some unique stuff, but it's not like there's, there's really no secret sauce in shooting, man. It's not like, you know, once you, uh, all of a sudden, once you make GM, like you stop having to worry about grip and trigger control and you, you know, it's, it's like some, some other thing that no one else knows about. Like it's the same stuff. Um, right. And so it's just, it's more about like different ways of training that same stuff, different, you know, mindset stuff, all about the same things that, that everybody else is, is doing. And that was cool. But, you know, what's frustrating for some folks, I, I've, <laughs> I've trained with, I guess, uh, four world champions now. And in, in some cases, like the stuff they're going to tell you in class is not only different, but it's exactly opposite. Um, so like, I don't know, maybe I can come up with a good example. So if you train with like Ben as an example, he's going to tell you like not to worry about trigger press. Like it's always, I mean, I mean trigger prep. It's always just like a progressive pull. Mm. And like when you're shooting iron sights, it's always target focus with both eyes open. Right. And you go train with Eric and he's like, um, yeah, so I prep the trigger on every single shot outside of three yards. And with iron sights, I am front sight focused with only one eye open outside of like seven yards on everything. Um, and that can be like really frustrating for folks because it would be, <laughs> it would be, it would be way easier, you know, if you could just be like, thus say it the Lord, this is how you will grip the pistol if you want to be good at shooting. Right. But like, it's not that right. simple. It's um, not. And so it's, it's great getting those different perspectives. And for me, like the, probably the, because so much of it was different, like it, it pushed me even farther down the road, especially in my teaching of not harping on like specific techniques so much, but worrying more about the process. Like, Hey man, how do we want the gun to behave? <laughs> what are some exercises that we can use to analyze how it's behaving? And then, you know, we'll, we'll try some different stuff for me and figure out what gets the gun to behave that way for me as an individual shooter. Um, and so I, uh, I rambled on a lot there, but that's just that's some, some no. of what I took away. No, yeah, no, no, you did it. Uh, no, that was good. I, I agree. And, you know, the other thing too, going along with what you're saying is, you know, just the difference in people's hand size. 
changes the way people have, you know, no two people are the same. They don't hold the gun the same way. So everything is different. And look, you could sit here and go through a month of training with Eric and a month of training with Ben and take 50% from each one. You know what I mean? Yep. If what Eric does is great for Eric and there's a lot that can be gained there, but it doesn't mean that everything he does is going to translate to somebody else, you know? Yep. I'm sure there's a, there's a ton of variables there. Sometimes the things that we're arguing about, like just don't matter (laughs) to start with that. Um, Other times there's just more than one way to get the same results. And then like you said, even, even more often, there's just so many variables, not only you as the shooter in, in terms of, you know, people always think about hand size, hand strength, dexterity, that kind of stuff. Um, but also your equipment. Um, you know, you can't tell me that you press the trigger on a stock Glock the same way you do on a limb cat open gun, right? Like those two things are not the same. <laughs> and so, right. you know, like there's, <laughs> there's going to be different techniques that are involved in, in like how you determine, you know, how you codify confirmation levels and trigger presses and stuff like that. Like it's going to be different. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just, unfortunately, there's no way around doing the work for you as the shooter and figuring out what works best for you and your, your setup. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There are just so many differences. Um, now I do think there is somebody coming up right now who could very well be the next Eric Graffel, and that's <laughs> Christian Seiler. I think he he's young and he's already reached a level where his mental game is so good and his physical skills are so good yep. that if he wants to win, he can win. And there isn't, I mean, he showed that with carry optics. Um, everybody was there. Anybody who was anybody was there and he wasn't really challenged. Yep. So that guy, that guy I've, I've been saying it was, you know, Rob Latham was the first generation. Nils was the second generation. Now we're moving into an, into a third generation. It looks like that's going to be Christian Siler. I mean, who knows, but right. early, early looking at it, that that's who I'm saying is the next generation of, of greatness. Yeah. Time he's, will a, tell. he's a beast for sure. And yeah, the, the agility that he's shown to perform at that level, you know, across divisions, um, is is super impressive you know the guys that are at the top of their games you know you look at guys like 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 jj or you know nils or mason or whoever it is like they they, although they compete across divisions they for the most part have kind of a home division where they're the most comfortable and and christian will just show up at your house and and kick your teeth in right where you're most comfortable and it's uh it's been impressive to watch for sure yeah that that guy is very, very impressive. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes with all of that. Yeah. Now, did your, when, when, after that week with Eric, did you change much in the way you approached training? Um, I, definitely, you know, I think I would say for months after that, um, my, my, I was just, it was back in exploration, trying out different things uh, to see kind of what worked for me and what doesn't from some of the stuff that, you know, we train with specifically, you know, I'd, I'd never trained with anybody and before who, who, who really talked about hit factor strategy, the way that Eric does, as far as taking, um, you know, different stages based upon whether it's a high hit factor or a low hit factor stage and having very specific strategies on how you approach that. Obviously, I think Anybody that's been shooting the USA for a while is aware that, you know, speed matters more on high hit factor stages and, and vice versa. Um, but his his very specific way of approaching a stage and being like, okay, I can have two Charlies on this stage based upon the math. Like, where do I want them? <laughs> and like wow. you know, picking like picking targets where you can risk a Charlie on, like the rest of them you can't and that kind of stuff um, was definitely a mindset set shift for me. I, and I'm definitely, I don't think uh frankly in a place yet where i can deploy that strategy with a great deal of success um but his his mindset and the way that he approaches those stages was something i've been playing around with you know probably the the most different um in in training for sure okay did the topic of his 
so he posted something. Um, I believe it was before the, it might've been after the world shoot, but he posted something about how he ramps up to like 1200 rounds a day in training. D- did that topic come up at all? No, I'm, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about, but no, we didn't really talk about that a whole lot. I would, wouldn't say in the class, but, um, okay. It's, yeah, it's very clear. There's, there's levels to this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but and, I'm, you know, I'm, I, with some, even with some of the, you know, the world-class guys that are from the U S that I've trained with, like they, they, a lot of times are a little bit more cagey about their practice schedules. Right. But, um, right. You know, a lot of those guys are doing pretty similar stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's very clear. Like you'll, you'll always see that separation when you usually, when you look at the national results, there's, there's obviously aberrations, but for the most part, you've got like the, the pro guys that are clustered very tightly up in that top 5%. And then there's right. like a three, four, five percent gap, and there's everybody else, right? Um, right. Every all that, the casual shooters. The level of consistency <laughs> you get from just you know putting that kind of work in is 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 pretty hard to to argue against. So. Well, and I don't think, I mean, look, I've had a lot of private conversations with Nils, um, yeah. but I have never heard of anybody doing twelve hundred rounds a day every day in training. You know, for like. A, more than a week headed up to national or, or, or world shoot. So when I heard, when I saw and heard that, I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy is wow. But yeah. it's that guy is very, he's a, an interesting case. For yeah. Sure. He also, he, you know, he does um, a lot of, and he obviously has a pretty unique training setup uh, with his range now, but um, yeah. Part of the reason I think one of the ways that he burns so much ammo with efficiency is he does very, very large stages. Like he'll do, you know, 50 plus round stages um, that are way in excess of anything you would actually see at a match. Right. But he's, you know, increasing the complexity and the duration of the stage. And if you can maintain focus for that long, you know, your 20 round field course or whatever, all of a sudden seems really simple. Um, But he's, he's definitely doing that, burning a lot of ammo pretty quick. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but I mean, if you're doing, let's just drop it down to 800 rounds every day for a couple of weeks leading up. That means a day of shooting at nationals or the world shoot is, is nothing. It's like a quarter of it. You know, it's like nothing. This is easy. Light work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So what, what part of when, when you first became an adult and started shooting, pistols made you go, this is what I want to do with my life. This, I want to teach. I want to, I want to shoot. This is what I want to do. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, it's really <laughs> kind of a, a, a backward, uh, circuitous route to get there. Um, it's funny. I was so growing up after my dad got the military, he went into, um, the ministry. He was a pastor all my growing up. And so he was kind of, I think probably grooming me for that role. He might not admit it, but that's certainly what it felt like. So he had me in like, in like seminary level classes on, um, wow. You know, studying, studying a source material, um, arranging it for presentation and then delivering that to an audience in an effective and entertaining manner. But when I was like 10 and like 12 years old, um, wow. So, and had me like, doing public speaking already at that age and that kind of thing. Um, so I kind of grew up in that public speaking education type space, doing that kind of stuff. Um, never imagined that it would be useful in the context that I'm using it now. Um, but, you know, I went and started uh, obviously taking training and, and learning about shooting. And this was, again, at the time where the training space is not at all what it is now. Um, you know, there was not nearly as many guys doing the, like the circuit thing, traveling around the country all the time. And, you know, there's always been the gunshot guys, your NRA instructors, your basic CCW classes, that kind of thing. But man, when I went to go take my first class, um, I mean, I traveled out, I traveled out of state. There was, there was just nobody anywhere close to me that was doing any kind of training that I thought was worthwhile. And so, you know, after I've taken a few classes and been, been, been putting the work in and, and, and getting better, obviously, you know, folks take notice and start saying, Hey, can you, 
can you just pass on what you know? Can you teach us what teach us how to do what you do? Um, and so I, I started doing, you know, small classes for friends and family and stuff like that um, in, in my area. And uh, it's just kind of been a, a progression since then. But um, it's, it's definitely something that um, at this point, I feel like I was, <laughs> it's, it's, not to sound grandiose, but man, I feel like this is what I was put on the earth to do. Like, this is my passion. Uh, it's, it's what I live for these days. And um, I'm, I'm very glad to have found not only shooting, uh, but, but the training community for sure. So how much time do you spend each week on the range, whether it's teaching, training yourself or what? Um, it varies a good bit. Uh, it's funny. People always think that shooting instructors get to shoot all the time. I definitely shoot less <laughs> when I'm teaching a lot than I, than when I'm not. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, last week I was on the range, I think every single day. Um, there's, there's times when I go because of travel or whatever it is, you know, a week or two at most without being able to get on the range. But I'm usually, I would say on the range at least, um, you know, two or three days a week at a, at a minimum, but, uh, it goes up and down. Yeah. I had that conversation with Mason. Um, I for, I think it was back in December. It was back a while ago before this season started up. And that was one, he, he wasn't happy with any of his finishes. And I asked him, I said, look, when you're teaching, it doesn't give you the opportunity to train. I said, how much of where you ended up your finish was predicated on that, you know, just yep. not having the time to do it. Yep. So I, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but 100%. I do. I, go ahead. You mentioned Carolina classic. That's obviously my, you know, kind of home match. It's uh Rowan is, you know, 30 minutes from my house. Um, and uh, I mean, I was my biggest trip of the year that I wasn't able to do any shooting for was about a four week road trip that I had just a couple weeks before then um and uh was teaching for the next couple weeks right after that and so i started you know shooting and trying to get back together for carolina classic just a few days before the mm. match um and it's uh yeah it definitely has it has an impact for sure uh but it's it comes with territory okay so when you so you went on a four-week road trip to train others correct uh, actually, actually, no, I, I'm actually not, I'm not training full-time yet working in that direction. I kind of have two full-time jobs that both require travel. <laughs> so that oh. was, uh, my other job I, I do I sell shoot houses to the military. So I tra was traveling around to military bases for several weeks doing demos, uh, of shoot houses and stuff like that, which is why I didn't have guns with me because I was going on and off of military bases all the time. But, mm. um, but yeah, so that, uh, that gets in the way of the, the shooting schedule sometimes for sure. Uh, a lot because I, I was, my follow-up question for that was going to be, you know, are, do you dry fire at night since you're not able to shoot? But if you can't even take a firearm with you, cause you're going to be on a military base and they don't allow that, yep. then you're kind of screwed. For sure. Yeah, no, dry fires is a huge part of my training for sure. Um, whenever, whenever I can, I still, I still dry fire. I mean, every day. Absolutely. Now I noticed that um, you didn't shoot handgun nationals. Um, you did shoot the Carolina Classic. Were you able to shoot any other majors this year? Uh, I shot Carolina Nationals. Um, let's see. Obviously, Carolina Classic. I'm having troubles remembering what was this year and what wasn't. I don't know that I shot anything else. I usually shoot Georgia. I'm heading down to Florida, North Florida section um, in December. Mm. Um, okay. sneaking a few in, a few in here and there, but, um, oh. uh, area six as well. Okay. Yep. So you got some decent shooting and I know you, that's not your entire focus. Like you said, you do other stuff too. So yep. uh, does your day job give you a good bit of flexibility to do the other stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Very, very fortunate in that, in that regard. Okay. So do you do any CQB training teaching? No, I don't, I don't teach it. No. You just sell it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. I like it. That's interesting. That, I think that might be the first time. I don't think I've ever run into anybody literally in my adult life who do, who does what you do. So that's pretty interesting. It's pretty, pretty unique for sure. How do you fall into that? Uh, so funny enough, um, 
I, I got hired for that role. Um, my now boss was watching me do Instagram lives, uh, probably not unlike this one, about shooting on my uh, Spectrain Instagram page. And uh, he said, I guess, I guess his impression of me was that I was articulate enough to, uh, to be good at sales and obviously familiar with sort of the space in general and could talk about shooting and, and that sort of thing. And so that's actually how I got kind of recruited for that, that role. Okay. Yeah. Now I don't want to, I don't want to go too much farther without asking you about this. So okay. last year people knew of you, but I think when, when you won the build drill challenge last year, uh, it put your name up on a billboard. You know what I mean? I think that was sure. awesome for you. I'm sure that helped in your, in your training business stuff. Um, Shooting USA then realized who this guy was, you know, all of that, which is awesome. Yeah. You did the build drill at handgun nationals. We did. We sure did. Uh, kind of, okay. It was very, very different. Um, we didn't, so they didn't actually hold a general competition at all. Uh, well they had, so they, well, I should say, so they, they put the build drill stage actually in the match. Um, Although for some reason it was wrist above shoulders, uh, not below belt. So that changed it up a little bit. Um, but so how it's responsive that as well. They still gave away a shirt for anyone that shot actually all alphas on that stage in the match. Um, and so they had that, but they didn't actually do the like normal um, build your competition, like open unlimited okay. thing that we've done in the past at carry optics nationals. Uh, but yeah, shooting USA did host a uh, basically a rubber match between I mean, I looked up there, uh, which I did not, I didn't actually shoot the match. Uh, like you mentioned, I've actually got um, some tendonitis that I'm fighting in my uh, support hand right now, which makes squeezing the gun properly uh, super difficult. So I was planning on taking a couple weeks off and not shooting, which is why I wasn't up there at the match. And then uh, John hit me up. It's like, hey, you want to come shoot some build drills? And I was like, I, I, I guess we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> so I went up there and did that real quick, but uh, that was a lot of fun for sure. Okay. Yeah. So is that, uh, is that just something they're going to put on shooting USA then? Yes, it will be. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so we'll the, all uh, have to. The actual, the, the, so the, uh, the episode from Caravis Nationals that we did obviously six months ago now or whatever is just now getting ready to air, I believe in a couple weeks. So that, that one hasn't actually aired yet, but it's coming. And then the, the rubber match will be a follow up episode. Okay. Yeah, I've been I've been waiting for Carry Optics Nationals, and I'm still waiting. It's like goodness, this one's taking a while to get out. Well, they've got um, yeah, shooting SA has been been hitting the circuit in the in as far as the shooting sports very very hard and cranking out a kind of ton of content uh, for for all kinds of different shooting sports, not just USPSA really. So they got a bunch of stuff right. to offer. Yeah, they're they're busy, and then yep. of course Jim died, so that yeah, didn't help. Absolutely. For sure. Um, so do you have any goals for USPSA or is that just a way you keep measuring yourself to get better? Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have goals to improve for sure. The, you know, the thing for me is like, um, you know, my, my, uh, level of participation as far as how much I can train and how much I can be involved in, in majors and stuff like that fluctuates for sure. Um, and so, you know, I feel like my ability to set goals um, as far as where I want to land at various matches and so forth is very much limited by what my level of participation can be. So I don't have uh, any huge goals like, Hey, I want to win like this match or whatever uh, in the next year for sure, okay. but definitely still using, uh, USB say, yeah, that's, that's the main, my main motivation. I mean, it's a great tool for me to be focused in training and work on getting better at shooting in general. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, I mean, that's a goal. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's still by using it as a measure of where you are, it still allows yeah. you to keep improving. So yep. I'm totally with it. Absolutely. Is there do you see yourself ever switching over to um, just doing the training stuff full time? Or do you see that as being maybe something once you retire from day job? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're headed in that direction. 
uh, we'll, we'll see how quick it takes off, but things, it's definitely, uh, spectrum is definitely growing and, uh, the demand keeps, keeps going up. So, uh, at some point, hope in the near future, we'll be taking that full time, but, uh, we're, we're not quite ready to do it just yet, but hope that's coming soon. Okay. And like right now I I've got your, your, uh, the spec train website up. And it looks like you do some core, some performance, I guess, level up. Uh, I, I guess those are going in different levels. Each one of those is stacking on the last. Sort of. Um, so, yeah, the way I have it arranged right now, obviously we have the core stuff. That's basically your classic level one um, carbine and, and pistol stuff. Um, level up is really my flagship course that I'm, I'm doing most of my traveling with. Um, it, it's my best attempt at like um, – everything you need to know to shoot like a GM in one course. Um, and it includes stage work, USB safe style stage work and stage planning and all that kind of stuff, as well as the performance shooting side. Um, that performance mechanics course is, is kind of a, uh, a, a little bit of a simpler version of that. It does not include stage work. A lot of the ranges that want to host me um, that I can't drive to because of distance don't necessarily have all the stuff to build stages. Um, and so that one's uh, not so heavy on the competition side of the house, it's just, you know, mechanical performance shooting. Uh, it includes more, more of that mechanics based stuff like single handed shooting and, and more reload work and, and that kind of stuff. So that's okay. the, that's the basic lineup. And then we've, I've got a, a Marine scout sniper that does my um, leads up my, my precision rifle um, stuff for us as well. Uh, okay. No longer Marine. Uh, always a Marine. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Marine. <laughs> uh, I, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't recognize his name, though. I, I taught at Quantico for four years. Okay. Cool. So yeah, he, I don't. Go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, he was, um, he's, a, he's a younger fellow for sure, but um, he's younger than I am even. But um, yeah, he was a uh, scout sniper. Your child. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I was there from 91 to 94. So <laughs> it was a I couple of days ago. Sure. Um, now, all right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you have uh, do you have a video or something out about how, look, look, you're, you're ridiculously fast in the bill drill challenge. I mean, stupid fast, um, almost illegal. Like literally we could outlaw that type of thing. It's crazy fast, but didn't you put a video or something out about like how to, to work on that type of speed? Uh, yeah, I've, so I've got a lot of videos out. Um, I was on social media, but on, on YouTube is where like the longer form stuff is for sure. I've got a full, like a 20, 30 minute video on, uh, just training splits specifically. And also one about the same length on, um, on the draw as well. You've got a 20 to 30 minute video just on splits. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Yeah. That That's very in depth. That's what I'm going to say right now. It's, it's the most uh, exhaustive work on the subject that I'm personally aware of. Um, and it's, and it's not, um, it's not all stuff that obviously that I invented as well. I mean, most of it is, is bits and pieces that I've, um, stolen from from folks across the years and built into kind of an overall system um that i think can help folks find you know if 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 folks desire to put that work in it's obviously not uh the the probably the biggest bang for your buck in terms of uspsa shooting and that kind of thing but um if folks are looking to get you know super consistent you know sub 15 splits um it's a it's a pretty good system for it okay and look, I mean, I was, I did it in the military and I did it for a few years outside of the military training people. And a lot yeah. of what goes around in the training community is, I don't, I, I don't want to say is not new or is old, but it's stuff that just keeps getting improved and, and, you know, everybody's working on the 100%. same stuff. It's, yep. it's rare that you actually have something completely new, you know? Correct. I yep. think, uh. I forget who it was, but was it Todd Jarrett? Somebody made a comment, you know, when, when the tape on the front side of the red dot became popular, someone was like, oh, we used to do that in the nineties. <laughs> it's like, wow, 
So even well, even that's not new. So so the I mean the if you think about it, the first red dot optics that came out for rifles did not have glass. Like they were covered up in the front. It was all occluded all the time. That was the only way you shot. Um, and now people are rediscovering that as like a new training method and thinking like, oh, why has no one ever done this before? And it's like, <laughs> it used to be all you had, actually. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, it's funny. All that stuff makes makes the rounds for sure. I actually heard yeah. somebody who was arguing against occluded shooting the other day go, well, how come you guys only ever do it on pistols and don't do it on rifles? And I'm like, we do. Uh, <laughs> we do it on rifles too. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to do it long range, but you know, not not For too sure. far is not bad. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've got I've got a video um, on YouTube shooting somewhere. I think still up, shooting occluded out to a hundred with a pistol. Um, it, but it, yeah, it gets it get, at a certain distance. It gets it gets tricky for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say you could probably do it with a rifle. At, you know, uh, pistol three hundred yards is is very 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 tricky. But I mean, I feel like you could, you could almost do it uh, depending on your vision. You know, with an LPVO on a rifle, probably out to about three hundred, depending on how obscure the target is. If it's a wide open target, you could probably pull it off. If it's not, you couldn't. <laughs> you're uh, you're making me want to go test it now. We'll have to we'll have to uh, experiment. See what's there. You what. go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll just keep talking and you can have all these experiments. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll get you exactly. back on and we'll talk about the results. For sure. Uh, now, do you do you have a podcast? Uh, I do, sort of. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I have the Speed Up and Get Your Hits podcast is what it's called. Um, and it's three of us that are on there basically all the time. It's We've had a couple guests, but it's mostly not a, a guest-based podcast. It's three of us that are shooters and, and firearms instructors. Um, and we get on there and talk about stuff. I say sort of because we do not have a regular schedule. Um, there's there's no filler episodes. Um, so unless okay. we have something really, really good to talk about that we haven't talked about before, we don't put out episodes. <laughs> um, but uh, but when when stuff comes up, then we then we get together and we do new episodes because I, I just kind of want it to be a body like sort of a library of information. Where you can start at the beginning and like listen, binge, binge it all the way through if you wanted to, and it doesn't get like super repetitive, like the same stuff over and over again. So um, it's sort of an irregular schedule, but um, but yeah, we do have that speed up and get trades podcast. Okay, what's your twenty twenty four schedule looking like? Working on that right now. Uh, we got a few things posted already, but uh, we'll definitely be in some some different places across the country. South Carolina, Georgia, um, Ohio locked in already and hopefully some, some new stuff coming soon. Oh, wow. Are you going to be at shot show? I was actually just, uh, trying to figure that out this week. Uh, if I can make <laughs> it out there, uh, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. I, I, I've been out there the last three years and I was like, yeah, eh, am I going to go or not? And, and then Prairie Fire sent me an email. I'm like, all right, looks like I'm going. <laughs> yeah. So have you been to Prairie Fire? No. Wow, dude. Wow. Um, they sent me a, an invite. And look, I think it's because I did an episode of Prairie Fire Rank right before okay. the competition. And then I had Lanny on and she's uh, a part of the organization. Okay. So I assume that's why they sent me an invite to go to their grand opening. So I did. That place is amazing. That's cool. 55 bays. You can do carbine, you can do pistol, but they have one section, zone C, if you want to call it, where they have a just, it must be 20 bays side by side all the way down. Dude, they have pneumatic steel. So you shoot all the steel down press down on what looks like a gas pedal and yeah. all the steel raises and resets for you. That's cool. It is cool. <laughs> it's pretty wild. So, That's, and they have wow. it set up to where you can actually have competition on those bays with the steel between two people like they had at Prairie Fire Rank. Right. Okay. But they have a, a precision rifle. Uh, they have an unknown distance target at a mile. So, you know, it's somewhere around there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, 
all kinds of carbine. All, I mean, they're going to do a an archery range. They were setting it up where the farthest shot will be 200 yards. And wow. then you just, you can move forward and there will be hay bales at all different um, distances. So you, you know, if you just want to go up and do a, a 30 yard shot, you just walk up to the 30 yard hay bale and do your stuff. But if you wanted to test what your equipment could do, you could literally go as far back as 200 yards. It's going to be crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. It is. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, that's what I have for now. Um, was there anything else that we talked about that you wanted to touch on? Uh, I don't think so, man. I think that, that was that pretty much covered it. I, I appreciate it. That was a great conversation. It, it was a great conversation, and I hope to have you on again, Billy. Okay. Yeah, anytime. I'd love to. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm.